The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week on episode 108. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. I miss you guys terribly. I know I haven't been off that long. It's been a week since we've spoken. That's the standard amount of time between episodes. But just for some reason, in the last seven days, I've really missed getting to talk with you guys, you beautiful indie artists, you creators of fabulous things that make life enjoyable. Man, I'm so excited to be back here. I'm so excited that you're listening. I'm so excited for all the stuff we're going to talk about this week because, man, we got a fun episode this week. You all picked a great episode to download. I'm excited. I hope you're excited too. And the first thing that I'm excited about, oh my goodness, the Miami Hurricanes won again. We won again. I'm so thrilled, but, 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 but... I want to contain myself, I really do, because I understand that this is a music business podcast and not a sports podcast, and I have been monopolizing the front of each episode of the podcast over the last few weeks talking about the wonder that is University of Miami football, my alma mater, my wife's alma mater, a beautiful institution of higher learning that happens to have a dominating football team that's still undefeated, but I am cognizant of the fact that we've had some complaints. In fact, I got a listener email that came in over the past week from somebody who loves this show and loves what we do, and so I take this criticism in the spirit of which it's intended. The listener said, look, I understand that you're happy that Miami is winning each week. I know you love the Hurricanes, but you spend so much time talking about it at the top of each show. You get way too into it. And and so what this listener is saying is, it's okay that you're talking about it, but can you just shorten it up? Can you not waste so much time at the top of the show talking about how awesome the University of Miami football is? And I get you, but here's where I'm torn, listener, okay? On one hand, I do want to put on a good show, and I don't want to bog things down with football talk. I want to get to the music business stuff. I want to get to the indie music stuff. I want to get to the stuff that's going to help you, the listener, move your career forward. I get all that. I I am on board with you there. But on the other hand, I'm really superstitious. I'm nothing if not superstitious. I'm like rabbit foot carrying, don't walk under ladders. If I see a black cat showing up to cross my path, I will just kick that cat in the other direction. That's not true. I love all animals. But I'm a superstitious guy, and I'm afraid now that if I stop cheering UM football each week on this show, that... I'm going to jinx the team because each week I have been cheering on the team on this podcast and each week UN keeps winning. And so I'll be damned if I'm the reason why this magical UM season gets derailed because I stopped cheering on my team on this podcast. I can't do that. I can't do that to this community, this city. You know, we just had this terrible hurricane a few weeks back, and we've all rallied around our football team, and it's kind of kept us going. I don't want to be the reason why this all falls apart, so you see the bind I'm in, listener. So how about this? I've been giving this some thought, and I think I have a reasonable compromise here. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? I'm going to do 
the same UM rant that I've been doing each week where I cheer on the University of Miami football team and I get really excited and I get deliriously happy and we celebrate Miami football's recent win over Virginia yesterday. But, but as a compromise, I will combine that rant with giving out the show's contact information and letting you know who the guest is this week. Normally, I do these things one after another. I normally rant about the University of Miami football team and how they are awesome and how they won again. And then I go into the show information and who the guest is. But this week, I'll mash them together in sort of a a, a multi-kind of inter-segment combination thing. I'll put it all together in one rant, and that way we'll get through things quicker and we won't lose time. Does that make sense? Does that, does that kind of work with you, listener? Well, you can't respond back to me anyway because this podcast is kind of inherently a one-way medium, but I'm hoping that works for you. And to kind of sweeten the pot and to make things a little more fun and exciting and interesting, I'm going to throw some fun celebratory music behind it to kind of just get us all going and make us all happy. So let me see what I can dig up here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got some music. Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm bouncing in my chair. Woo! Miami! The University of Miami! They win, baby! They are 10! And, oh, they beat the University of Virginia 44-28! to They beat one of our conference rivals. We beat them by 16 points. It was a thrashing. And look, well, maybe not a complete thrashing because we were behind at one point in the game. We were down 28-14, to but we had an incredible comeback. 30 unanswered points including an epic 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 third quarter where we scored two touchdowns in seven seconds that's right two touchdowns in seven seconds how do you score two touchdowns in seven seconds in football nobody knows it's impossible it can't be done except the canes did it and fun fact it was the first time in the history of college football that a team scored two touchdowns in seven seconds don't double check that because i completely made it up and it's definitely not true but the point is that seven seconds is a really short amount of time. And in fact, it only takes seven seconds for you to rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher, so you might as well do it. Ah, you see what I'm doing here, listeners? All right. If you have to boil down the secret to the Kane success yesterday, it was all turnovers. Turnovers, baby. Turnovers, the great equalizer in football that lets you take down giants. And that turnover chain for the University of Miami came out three times yesterday. What's the secret to the Canes getting a lot of turnovers? Well, it's good communication, baby. That defense was talking to each other out there. They were communicating. They were making plays. Well, I don't know if they were actually doing any of that or not. They probably weren't. I mean, the stadium's pretty loud, so they're probably not talking to each other at all on the field. But the point is that communication is important. And that's why you should communicate with the Break the Business podcast by emailing us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can ask us show questions that you want us to answer on the air and propose some show topics for us to discuss. Woo! Man, those canes are great. And so much credit goes to their fantastic coach, Mark Richt. He's, it's only his second year, but he's got the devotion of his locker room, and those guys will follow him anywhere, and they like him a whole lot, just like how you should follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R and like the Break the Business on Facebook at facebook.com slash break the business. But in the end, folks, if you want to know why the Canes are dominant, 
It's because they have a lot of talent on the field. And those guys, they're working hard, man. They're getting it done on the field, and they're getting it done in the classroom at the University of Miami. A lot of academic studs on that team, folks, including our wide receiver, Braxton Berrios, who has a 3.97 GPA. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, 3.97. He's probably majoring in something, you know, kind of frivolous. Nuh-uh. He's a finance major, baby. I was in the School of Business at UM. I can tell you firsthand, that is a hard major. Very quant-heavy. So Braxton must be working hard. He's probably got his head in the textbooks all the time. He doesn't have any time to read for pleasure. But if he did, you bet he'd be reading my book, Break the business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry because he wants to get some great tips on how to move his music career forward on his own terms and without a record label. That book, by the way, is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Our guest this week is the totally awesome Brian Calhoun. He's the founder of the Music Business Toolbox. It is a fantastic information resource platform for musicians, and you can check it out at musicbusinesstoolbox.com. He's got a ton of experience, and he's going to give us some fantastic tips on how to budget effectively for your next music release. The interview is going to be super informative. It's got lots of practical advice that you can use in your music career tomorrow. Oh, no, I'm running out of music, but let me just finish this up. And I know it's going to be a good interview because it's pre-recorded. We already did it. And so I know it's going to be really good, so you should stick around for it. Just like how I already know that my dear Miami Hurricanes are going to dominate the University of Pittsburgh next week on route to an undefeated 11-0 regular season. And then we got Clemson in the ACC title game, and I'm not really sure about the outcome of that game because Clemson's really good, but I'm super nervous. But no, I'm not going to be scared. We will succeed. We will triumph. Go Canes! There I go. I threw that in there at the end. Whew, I am exhausted, but that did save time, right? I got to celebrate the University of Miami. I got to keep the good vibes for my favorite football team going, but we didn't waste a lot of time because I still gave you the contact information. I told you who the guest was, and there you go. Everybody's happy, and I'm super happy to have you all here. And I want to remind you again of our seven-note song contest update Uh, We got some new news on this seven-note song contest that we're doing. If you've missed the last couple episodes, let me clue you back in into what's going on here, okay? We got a seven-note song contest. So uh, Serge Tonkin of System of a Down created what he calls the seven-note challenge. You can go to SergeTonkinChallenge.com. That's S-E-R-J-T-A-N-K-I-A-N-Challenge.com. You can find out all about it. Basically what it is is it's a song contest And there are only two rules. Uh, One rule, the song has to be less than three minutes. And two, the song has to start with a specific sequence of seven notes. And if you go to SergeTonkinChallenge.com, you can find out what those seven notes are. And those are the only two rules. Other than that, the song can be in any genre, any tempo, any key, any instruments, whatever you want to do with it, as long as it starts with those seven notes. And... If you enter the Serge Tonkin Challenge, and you have to do it by December 15th by going to SergeTonkinChallenge.com, you can win the grand prize of $5,000. Oh my goodness gracious. And to try to further incentivize you to enter the Serge Tonkin Challenge, and to increase the probability that somebody from our community of listeners wins this contest, because that's really what I want, is I want to be able to brag and say that somebody on our podcast who listens to our show won the $5,000 grand prize. So to incentivize that, we are creating our little mini seven-note song contest with the same rules as the Serge Tonkin Challenge that's just going to be among our community of listeners. And whoever wins that little seven-note challenge, same rules, by the way, will win a prize pack consisting of stuff from former guests of the podcast who have so magnanimously donated merchandise uh, for the winner of our seven-note song contest. So... 
To enter our little seven-note challenge, you have to submit your song to BreakTheBusiness at gmail.com by December 8th. That's BreakTheBusiness at gmail.com by December 8th. And then once you have your song submitted to us, you could then submit your song to the Serge Tonkin contest by December 15th to win the grand prize for $5,000. Now, if you're wondering what our prizes are for our little mini contest, it's getting pretty awesome. So, uh, we had a great we have a great prize pack that we're adding to each week, and this week is no exception. Let me run you through the prizes that you will win if you win the Break the Business Song Contest. You get from Ari Hurston a copy of his awesome book, How to Make It in the New Music Business. This guy's super knowledgeable. He's probably one of the best music industry indie artist minds out there, and you're going to learn some great stuff from his book. From one of our favorite guests, the super talented musician Mary Amber, you're going to get a music and merchandise pack from her. You can get a copy of Ariel Hyatt, PR agent extraordinaire's awesome book on crowdfunding, Crowdstart. From Suzanne Polinsky, the rock star advocate, a fantastic music industry consultant, she's going to give you a copy of her rock star life planner and six of her ebooks: one on self-care, recording, financials, contracts, branding, and touring. From DJ Spruik, friend of the show, he's got his new Kickstarter project out now. There's only two days left to fund that project, so guys, get out there, help our boy Spruik out. The Kickstarter's called Pieces. And if you win our contest, you will get the $25 reward from that Kickstarter project pieces, as well as an album from his last Kickstarter album project, Music to Die Alone in Space 2. From Verity White, another fantastic rock artist, and man, she rocks hard. You can get a copy of her new album, Breaking Out. It just came out. It is so good. I've listened to it top to bottom. It is a jam, folks. And we got a couple more things. Last week, we announced that our friends from indie band Guru... We're going to give you a feature on their website. So they're going to write an article about you and what you're doing in your music career. Um, so that's a pretty sweet thing. That's going to be some nice pub for you. And from me, I'm throwing in a signed copy of the Break the Business book, your very own copy that I'll send to you, and an hour of one-on-one -on -one consulting services from me. I don't do consulting services regularly. This isn't something I offer anybody. So this is kind of a rare item. You'll get an hour with me. We're going to talk about your music career. We're going to game plan. We're going to give you actionable steps to help you move your career forward. And that's one hour of free consulting services from me. And on top of all that, that fantastic prize pack, I got one more thing to add. Brian Calhoun, our guest in the next segment, has stepped up for us, and he is going to give you a copy of his Music Business Toolbox ebook to the winner of our contest. So that's all the stuff you get. I'll run through it again. You get the Ari Hurston book. You get the Mary Amber Music and Merchandise Pack. You get the Ariel Hyatt book. You get the Suzanne Paulinski books. You get the DJ Spruik albums, the Verity White album. You get the IndieBandGuru.com feature. You get the Break the Business book. You get my consulting services, and you get the Music Business Toolbox ebook. Enter this contest, folks. We've got a lot of great stuff in here. We want you to win this contest. If you want more information about the contest, you can check out the flyer on my Twitter, at Ryan K-A-I-R. I put a little flyer up there. You can find out all about our song contests. And you can also visit SergeTonkinChallenge.com to just get some general ideas about what the contest is about, as well as get where, what the seven notes are that you have to start your song with. Again, the deadline for my contest is December 8th. Serge Tonkin's contest is December 15th. Woo! Some really cool news this past week before we bring in Brian Calhoun. I'm excited about this. This has been a cool article, uh, just a fun news week, and I'm excited to share this story with you. Wall Street Journal reported last Wednesday about the emergence of a new music distribution company called United Masters. And when I tell you guys that this is a company you guys as indie artists should be paying attention to, 
that's an understatement. You got to be focused on this company with laser-like precision because they could be game-changing in the music business. United Masters, they're promoting themselves as an alternative to the record label model. And we've talked about record label alternatives on this podcast before, and it's an important topic because, look, even though in this new music industry, it's more possible than ever to achieve career success without a label, and that's something we talk about in this podcast uh, all the time, it's what the whole Break the Business book is about, you know, taking control of your own music career, not being beholden to a label, keeping your masters, keeping your money, even though all of that is true now, you still need companies to help you do some of the things that labels do, but do it in a way that doesn't exploit you. And so there are a lot of companies, for example, that do your distribution work for you. So you make an album, you still need a company to get that album on Spotify, get it on Pandora, get it on iTunes, put it on YouTube, all those different platforms. And there are a lot of companies that do that already. And so you might be asking, okay, a new company showed up, United Masters. They're going to do all the same stuff that these other companies are going to do. Why do I care? I know that I need a distribution company to handle my independently released music, but there's already a lot of companies out there that do that. There's CD Baby, there's TuneCore, there's DistroKid, there's Ditto. So why do I need to care about this company, Ryan? And I'll tell you why. Because it's all about following the money. And once you follow the money, you're going to realize how big of a deal this is. And here's what I mean by that. United Masters is going to be extremely well capitalized. Not just kind of well capitalized, but extremely well capitalized. They already have $70 million in funding from investors. So they're, these guys are going to be a big player. This is going to be a serious, legitimate label alternative. They want to... Be part of this. And so you know that this company is going to be big because they got big money behind them. But it's not just about how much money they have behind them. It's where the money's coming from that really matters here. Much of that $70 million in funding is coming from Alphabet. And a lot of you don't know who Alphabet is, but some of you do, and you're already thinking, oh my goodness, the Alphabet? Yes, Alphabet Inc., the parent company of Google. Whenever you think of Google and record labels, your red flags should start, oh my goodness, you should be like on high alert because this is a big deal. Google owns a lot of platforms that are currently fighting a absolute war with the record labels right now. Google owns YouTube and YouTube and the labels are locked in this epic struggle where people are getting their music off YouTube and they're not paying labels the amount of money that, say, Spotify does. And so these two organizations have a very, you know, labels and Google have a very different philosophy about what the music business should look like. And so when Google plops down a huge investment into a company like United Masters, they're escalating that war. They are saying, we're going to put serious money behind a legitimate label alternative, which means only one thing. Google wants to bust up the record label model. They want to blow the whole thing to smithereens and create a more democratized, more indie artist-centric, more artist-centered music industry because that's kind of the way Google operates. And so this could create this could be a this could be crazy. This could be a a big mess, but a good mess or you know, possibly a bad mess. We don't know. Because look, this could be a welcome development for indie artists. 
And depending on what we learn about United Masters going forward, this could be a viable option for indie artists and for music distribution services. But we don't know a lot about United Masters yet, because right now it's just a bunch of press releases. But we should folk, but what we do know about United Masters is that they are going to embrace an interesting business model. So what United Masters is offering you is they're saying, okay, we're going to distribute your music. We're going to put it on Spotify. We're going to put it on iTunes for you if you work with us. But we're also going to give you targeting tools, tools that allow you to reach your fans on the internet and offer them direct opportunities to get your merchandise and your live shows and your other uh, offerings. And this is intriguing because that kind of model identifies the changes that are happening in the music industry. And the music industry is shifting. It's shifting into an industry in which recorded music is not is becoming less of its own product and more of a loss leader and more of a marketing tool and more of a advertisement for your music in a way that drives your fans to your more premium items like your merchandise or your live shows. You know, people, artists aren't making money a lot, are not making a lot of money directly from your music sales anymore. In the era of streaming, you just can't make the numbers work the way you used to back when it was a downloading-based industry. And so now it's all about driving your fans to your merchandise, to your live shows, to your crowdfunding campaigns and things like that. And so since that's the case, there might be some value in the United Masters model. Because now we're talking about a company that isn't just willing to put your music on streaming platforms in which you only make a little bit of money, but that they're willing to help you find ways to funnel your fans into some of your more high-value items like your merchandise. And when you think about it, Google's got a huge company like Google behind them, a company that knows a thing or two about targeting and funneling because that's their whole business model. So presumably United Masters is going to know a little bit about what they're doing here. And so you should be excited about this and you should follow this closely. But before you get too excited, let's take a breath because there are some things we don't know. We don't know a lot about United Masters other than what's been in a few blog articles. And so we are doing a lot of speculating here. And ultimately, the devils are going to be in the details. I still haven't seen what their actual contracts look like. And that's what matters to me when I look at this as a lawyer. If an artist comes to me and says, should I put my music with United Masters? I would say, I don't know, because I want to see the contract. I want to see what you're going to what you're going to have to give United Masters in exchange for their services. What are you going to have to give up? And to United Masters' credit, they claim that they're only going to want a small piece of your revenue. And they claim that you're going to get to still keep your masters. And by the way, um, as, as an entertainment lawyer, and I, if, I, if I look at one of those deals, those are deal breakers for you as an artist in the sense that you, you, won't, uh, the, you shouldn't take any deal in which you're giving up your masters or giving up more than a small piece of the pie. And so United Masters is saying all the right things here. But I want to know how small that piece is that they're going to say you have to give them. How small when they say small? And even if United Masters says you get to keep your masters, are they going to place restrictions on how you can use your masters? If they, Because if they say you can keep your masters, but you can't license them anywhere, then you're not really getting to keep your masters and you lose the value from that. So I want to see the specifics. I want to see the details and you should too. These are the things we have to find out. And so what I can tell you this our, our, our solemn vow from this podcast is we're going to continue to follow this story 
and we're going to give you more info once we have it. But what I ask of you in return is that you keep your eye on this company as well. And let's see what this let's see what these guys do, because it could change the music industry as we know it. This could be a huge shift. All right. Brian Calhoun coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is an acclaimed music industry entrepreneur and the founder of Music Business Toolbox, an informational resource platform for musicians, managers, and producers. He is also the co-founder of Freeform Development, the founder of Label Management Systems, and has held executive roles at Sound Exchange and Red Distribution. You can find out more about him and the Music Business Toolbox by visiting www.musicbusinesstoolbox.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Cal. Calhoun is on the Break the Business podcast. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you. You've you've been in the music business for a long time. You've held so many roles. You've worked with artists, labels, producers, rights organizations. And frankly, if we were to go through all the cool things that you've done in the music business, that would basically eat up the entire interview time allotment. <laughs> so how about this instead, okay? Because normally when I have guests on, I, I ask them kind of to walk through their resume, but that's going to take too long with you. So instead of having you go through the entirety of your professional experience, I instead just want to grab one randomly amazing thing I found from your resume and just have you elaborate on that. Does that sound good? So let's do it. Okay. How on earth did an 18-year-old Brian Calhoun get a Tribe Called Quest to play at his college, <laughs> even though he had no music business experience or connections? That has to be a good story. It was, uh, it was great. It was fortunate. I was a student at the University of Georgia, and uh, I started working with the uh, University Union, which is the division of a student programming body uh, that brought concerts to the school and they brought speakers and other types of events. Um, and there was a, a portion of, there was a small group of people that dealt with music, with the music part of it. And I got involved and said, Hey, I think we should bring a tribe called quest here. And the, <clears throat> the, the faculty member who was, um, uh, who, who worked with the students said, okay, great. Well, start calling booking agents. And it was, they really put it on, on us as students and gave us a lot of really hands-on experience and I got a lot of practical, uh, uh, experience where it was, we got to do the work and I called the booking agents and said, Hey, we want to book them. When are they available? And worked on negotiating the price and going through the, the, the contract and their, their technical rider and their hospitality rider and put it all together. And, um, they guided us through the process, but it was very much, uh, as a student got the opportunity to do it. And, uh, it was awesome. And that, that led me, that was really the, the, the beginnings of my uh, career and started realized that I could book concerts myself and learned 
there and started booking shows uh, on my own. Well, Brian, you were 18 years old at the time. You were a kid. You probably yeah, still yeah. had pimples. How did you <laughs> stare down booking agents for a tribe yeah. called Quest and you know negotiate that kind of deal? Wasn't that overwhelming for you? It it was it, it was a little bit. Fortunately, the the administrators you know helped us out with this a lot. And it was actually I was 19. So I mean, oh well, that changes <laughs> everything. All right, never mind, never mind. No, you're practically but, uh, a dinosaur. It, there was there was a couple of things. One, we had faculty members who were, you know, helping us along the way. And the other big thing was we had the university's pocketbook. So they, you know, they, they knew that the school was going to be good for the payment and that the, the event would be produced professionally because they had a reputation already of, of, of doing events and, uh, bringing, uh, bringing performers to the school. So there was, there was, there was definitely some of that to be able to, to rely on. When I started booking shows on my own, it was good to be able to say, Hey, I'm the guy who worked with you on the tribe called quest show or so, so forth and so on. Cause then the first show that I actually booked, on my own while I was still a student uh, with, with a couple of my partners, uh, my friend Jay and Alfred, we booked uh, Cypress Hill and they came and they, they did their, we brought them to actually Atlanta, which is about an hour and a half from Athens where we were in school. And uh, that was our first show like on our own as, you know, students. That was uh, that was that was a big deal. We put our own money up. I think we, we like we put up our tuition money for the following semester. What? <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of nuts, but it worked out. It worked out. It was a huge success. I feel like there's so many lessons for indie artists to learn just from the early days of, you know, you getting into the music business about, you know, the value of persistence, about taking chances, about not being afraid just because the person across the table from you has a bigger job title to really kind of believe in yourself. I mean, where did you kind of get that kind of confidence? Um, absolutely. I, it's, uh, yeah. Where did I get the confidence? I don't know. I think, uh, you know, just, uh, I don't know, man. It was, it was, it's something I wanted. I was really interested. I, uh, worked, uh, doing that had some, uh, uh, interesting internships. Uh, but it was like, I was working in the corporate planning department at Bell South and I was like, you know, this really isn't for me and, uh, started doing stuff with the, with music. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And it would be great to have a career in this. And I was like, well, if I want it, I, it's, I know it's competitive and I'm going to have to be aggressive about, uh, learning the industry and just doing it. And there's, you know, I think even then I just knew that there was no better teacher than experience. Uh, so just getting out there and doing it was, it was incredibly valuable. I was having a conversation today with someone about, uh, the beginnings of my career and how the (laughs) stress that I endured as a concert promoter when I was like 20, 21, 22 years old, 23, um, helped prepare me for stress later in, uh, later in my career. Uh, but the other thing was, you know, in addition to, uh, experience being a great teacher, uh, and I, I would post up at, at the, uh, uh magazine, uh, shops and, and read billboard from cover to cover. And I think that, uh, one of the huge advantages that, uh, people who are interested in this or any industry have now is access to information is just at your fingertips. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. Um, you know, they have the opportunity to, you know, tune into podcasts like yours and buy your book and, um, you know, use the resources that I have as well as reading other, you know, blogs and attend music conferences and so forth. There's so many more of them than, uh, than there were when I was, uh, first getting started. Well, 
That is absolutely true. And I think a lot of indie artists really enjoy having all of this information at their fingertips. And frankly, they don't realize how spoiled they are. Because I remember having to read <laughs> Billboard from cover to cover, too, because that's where all the information was. But right. I think the challenge that today's artists have is trying to separate the good information from the less good information. So what does mm -hmm. Brian Calhoun read today to keep himself informed and to, you know, catch up on the most pertinent skills that one can learn in the industry? Yes. Uh, that is absolutely true. Like where you get your information is really important. Who you getting your, who you get your information from. So you're not just getting stuff that's sensational or, um, is written with, and, and it can, it can definitely be a challenge to, to get information that is not completely biased. Uh, and it can be tough, especially when you start dealing with some of the intricacies of licensing and rights and legislation, that's when it starts getting especially hairy. Uh, but learning about some of the basics of the industry, I think is you, you can get that information from a number of places. Again, you know, your podcast, uh, you know, my, book music business toolbox and um i think there's a few other good places i i on a i read i look at i look at billboard i look at music ally i look at hypebot i look at music think tank um these are some of the places uh you know that i'll go to sort of on a regular basis to to, to look for information and to stay abreast of what's happening and stay current with what's happening within the industry now, the other thing is just Quite frankly, you know, Twitter is still actually a good resource for this. See who's retweeting articles um, about uh, uh, things that are relevant to me. So I've got a list on Twitter of of music people uh, and companies that uh, that when I want to know what's going on, I'll look and see what people are posting. And just the ability to link out and read more in depth articles from those places is, is also really beneficial. So building a, a list of of, of trusted people that are regularly posting content themselves or uh, reposting content uh, that they find interesting. So, and, and, but depending on what your sort of your knowledge level is, you got to be careful about falling down into the rabbit hole. I mean, I think one of the things that can be a bit overwhelming for uh, um, uh, an independent musician is starting to, get too much into the weeds about things like licensing structures uh, or who, what company bought another company or who got acquired. And those things are much less relevant when your focus is trying to put your record out. Well, and I know your platform music business toolbox is really designed for those artists who are, you know, at the indie artist level who just need to know how to get, from step one to step two, instead of, you know, step 99 or a hundred, you know, with some right. of these far flung resources. So let's talk about your platform a little bit. It's a, sure. it's a book, it's a website. Can you, can you tell the folks about the services you offer on this website? Yeah, sure. So I'll step back and just provide a little bit of context to where, how I put it together. It's, it was really something that I, I, I when I, uh, some years ago, I had developed some software for, indie labels to manage their finances, to do cash flow and profitability and break-even analysis. But it was for, you know, big, big independent labels with multiple releases and budgets of, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the low end. And, uh, you know, so it was really kind of designed for them. And as I was building out financials for some independent label clients, um, what started to become more and more evident were that 
there were more indie labels that needed more sort of like basic and introductory uh, information about what the process for releasing their music was. And so I initially started by helping some of my indie label clients understand things like what UPC codes and ISRC codes were and uh, the process of uh, getting your music distributed and how aggregators work. Um, it, how do you develop a marketing plan and a marketing strategy um, and putting those kinds of things together, but realized that it was valuable not just to a label that has multiple employees and putting out multiple releases a year, but also for the independent artist and musician. And so what I did was I took those individual tools and, and pieces of, you know, really pieces of advice and put them all in one place. And that's the music business toolbox. And I stripped out the information about sections of copyright law and things that aren't relevant to taking action. So it's like, what do you need to know and what tools do you need to execute today? And that was really uh, uh, the, the impetus behind it. And ultimately what it is, is the tools and resources and information and guidance for the independent artist to be able to act and guide them through the process of commercially releasing their music and managing their career. Awesome. And so let's talk about that process because, you know, that's always something that's endlessly fascinating about the new music industry, about how, you know, the, the, I always say like, you know, the good news is for indie artists, you know, it's easier than ever to, you know, be the captain of your own ship. But the bad news is you're the captain now. Like it's all on <laughs> you, right? you know, and so... I imagine you have seen a lot of indie artists make a lot of the same common mistakes regarding the release of their music and getting it out there. So what are some of those common errors that you see indie artists make when trying to move their career forward? Um, one, not having a, a, you know, a real understanding of who the players are and what you need in order to be able to move things forward. And, 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 and it, it can be challenging, you know, even for people who are well-intentioned and you may go to a conference and, uh, you're sitting in on panels and it's like, Oh, you know, what you need to do to get your record out or whatever the panel topic is. And it can be tough to sort of like organize all and understand like you know, what platform does what? Okay, oh, th this platform does email and this platform helps me manage my socials. And uh, here's this other, here's these performing rights organizations over here, but sort of like having enough of an understanding of the various components to be able to execute so that you, you, you know, you don't end up getting analysis paralysis where you're trying to figure out so much stuff and you just don't move anything forward, uh, but also making sure that you have the right things in place. Uh, the Another really big thing, and I think one of the, is I think the biggest mistake that I see artists make, is the way they allocate their budget. No matter what your budget is, if your if your budget is a thousand dollars, five thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand dollars, the biggest mistake I see artists make is that they will take almost all of the money that they have saved to create their record and then leave nothing for everything else. So if they save 10 grand, they will spend 9,500 
or maybe even all 10,000 to make that record, to go into, you know, get the best studio that they can afford, the best producers, the best uh, uh, studio musicians that they can make, best engineers, and get the best sounding record that they can make and leave nothing for the rest, no marketing and, and, and no ability to help make sure that you're creating the awareness that you want to have for, for your release. And I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. And if you think about other industries, or even in the music industry, people don't do that. Major record labels don't spend a million dollars to record someone's album and zero dollars to market it. Absolutely. And when when GM makes when GM has a new car coming out, they don't spend, you know, X number of dollars, you know, in design, you know, and then zero to market it. You know, when Pfizer creates a new drug, they don't spend a billion dollars in R&D and then and then nothing to market it. But independent musicians do that over and over and over and over again. That is the the number one biggest mistake that I see them make. Well, that's really interesting. Let me ask you this. And I know this is going to vary from genre to genre. And it's going to vary for maybe where you are in your music career, how far along things are going for you. But just generally, if we were to take a musician's album budget as like a pie chart, how much of that pie should be sliced off for the recording of the the actual making of the album or whatever creative thing you're putting out? And how much should be sliced for the other stuff? And what are some of the slices of that other stuff? What are, what, what, what else should be being spent other than making the actual work? You know, if you, I would say you should spend 25 to 40% on recording. Wow. And the rest for everything else. So what are, should be the, the, the minority of your budget should be on recording. So what are some of the everything else's? I mean, I think, I mean, I, I think like, you know, promotion, you know, I think, you know, you know, social media and things like that, but, or actually, let me, let me put it to you this way. What are some of the slices that you have seen artists ignore entirely at their own peril? Uh, creating the additional content that you're going to need, having the right team members around you to be able to help you. So you need to build your core team and some of those team members and are, are going to cost money. They're not going to just, you know, sign on to help you for the promise of music of money in the future. Um, sometimes that may happen. A lot of times it's not going to happen. Um, and, and you should be, pre- be prepared for that. You know, you don't necessarily need, um, <clears throat> you know, a super high powered attorney to negotiate uh, a recording contract. But when you have uh, an agreement that is, you know, especially created, and, and I say, have have an attorney look at uh, agreements that that you're going to sign it's when they're created for you uh, you know you're you know as a, as a diy artist it's not gonna you're and you sign up with cd baby they're not going to negotiate with you independently that's not that's not <laughs> that's realistic <right>. ASCAP <laughs> or bmi or csac is not going to negotiate with you independently and so there's some things that you're going to need to just sign that you're not going to be able to negotiate with but if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got an opportunity and I want you to I want to license your 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 song for a TV commercial, that's the time when you're going to need an attorney to represent your interests when something is being created for you. So have money to be able to pay an attorney to do that. You should have money to cr- continue to create content, especially video content um, uh, going forward. So, I mean, you know, it's 
even though it's not expensive, it's not free, (laughs) you know? So having uh, uh, editing facilities, having cameras, being able to put content together and upload uh, uh, your content uh, to YouTube, that's another, that's, that's great. Having someone to be able to help you manage and help you guide and develop your digital strategy so that you, uh, you're effectively leveraging all of the opportunities that are, uh, that are, uh, available to you. This is, you know, this is what I do professionally now. Uh, and I work with a lot of big artists, uh, but it, it's the kind of thing that, uh, independent artists could also significantly benefit from, but you know, it's you, someone who really knows what they're doing and is going to be able to have an impact on your, on your work is going to cost, it's going to cost you money. Um, uh, you, you know, creating additional content and being able to work and have someone that can help you market it, having a publicist, uh, is going to be beneficial. All of these things cost money and they don't have to cost you tens of thousands of dollars, but certainly in aggregate, they can definitely cost you thousands of dollars. It could certainly cost you thousands of dollars a month. Um, so Find ways to do things inexpensively, as inexpensively as you can, and based on your budget, and work with people who are working uh, with similar artists and have good reputations, and uh, uh, you know that you've got recommendations on that you've got, you know you get recommendations from friends or people who are, are at your level and are having success with. But it's going to cost money for to work with those people. Uh, and you, if you want to work with great people who are going to help you move your career forward, those things are going to cost you money. Do some advertising, advertising with Facebook and Instagram and Google and YouTube. Those are effective ways to reach people, but you have to pay them. For sure. And let me let me take you a step back here. When you were talking about additional content to support the big piece of content you're creating, such as your album, what does this additional content look like? Are we talking about YouTube videos or yeah. social media yeah. things? Yeah, absolutely. It's both. I mean, so it's creating content, having somebody, it's great to have somebody that it's great if you can do it on your own. Um, but having someone that you can rely on to, to create great content for you that you can post to your socials, there's, there's no reason that you can't have, you know, a video or two or three for every track on your album. You can have a lyric video. You can have a, 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 a video that's just a static image with, with, you, with your song uh, that maybe that's something that goes up immediately. You can have a performance video. Um, you can have, uh, you know, a narrative video. So you can have multiple videos for, uh, you know, every single track on your album. And now you've got additional content. But again, those things those things all cost money to put together, um, taking pieces or elements of them and using them on other social channels. So maybe you have a portion of it that you embed on Twitter and use on Instagram or use on Facebook video. And you're ultimately trying to drive traffic to a place where you can make money, which is YouTube and use YouTube as a, as a tool to be able to, uh, uh, uh create a connection and drive people in where they can buy merch or concert tickets and, uh, that kind of thing email addresses, collecting email addresses. You want to, you can use that, uh, uh, as, as something on those other places where, you know, you're on YouTube and you say, sign up here for my mailing list. You know, again, paying, you have to, you have to pay for these platforms too. So you're going to use an email, uh, platform like, you know, uh, uh, you know, like FanBridge or MailChimp or any one of those other services. 
they cost money. You need to you need to be able to pay the uh, the monthly fee for those. They're not expensive, but again, it's just another thing that you you should you should put into your budget. I love it. Fortunately, fortunately, the Music Business Toolbox. I've got a very detailed budget that you can use to allocate these things and make sure that you're not skipping anything. <laughs> oh, you beat me to it, Brian. I was just about to segue into that. Wow, folks, all this great stuff he's talking about. You know, he you know he brings it up in the Music Business Toolbox, but you you beat me to the plug, man. Uh, yeah, you, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You, you can check it all out at MusicBusinessToolbox.com. It's absolutely. Uh, worth checking out. Let me ask you another budget question here, because you implied earlier that the mistake a lot of musicians make is they'll, you know, blow their entire budget on the top shelf studio and you know the best session musicians around and the best producer you can find at the expense of some of these other expenses that artists should be taking on to help support their album. But so. Are you suggesting from that that it might be foolish for an artist to try to get the best producer and the best session musician and the best everything to make their album? And perhaps in this industry, you know, you can kind of skimp a little bit on the perhaps the quality of production because some of these other components matter more? No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is just be cognizant of what your overall budget is and figure out how you can do things as cost effectively as possible because it, it is it's heartbreaking for me to see an artist pour all their time and energy and money into a project and then just say, I'm going to throw it out there and see what happens. And if you do that, I know what's going to happen. Nothing. <laughs> it, is the, it is the tree falling in the forest. <laughs> That's right. Oh. That's right. So, and I, it's, it's heartbreaking for me to see that happen to artists, especially people who make great music. And, uh, you know, it's, I have seen that happen to indie artists that I know and love. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Save some <laughs> money to market it. Oh. So. Very cool. Um, yeah, it's it, that, that that's so right. I, I've seen it time after time where, you know, it's the tree falling in the forest and no one's around to hear it. And the tree is always a beautiful tree, right. a beautiful, magnificent tree that they put a lot of time and energy into and nobody hears it because they don't do anything to promote it. Yes. yes. Um, so just when, when, so when you're going out and you're, you know, talking to the, you know, engineers and studios and so forth, just be realistic about what your budget is. Just be realistic about what your budget is and figure out how to make it work. Fortunately, we're in a in a day and time where the costs to 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 record are significantly less than than they used to be. I I, I remember studio sessions where we were spending ten fifteen thousand dollars a day. <laughs> so, I, fortunately, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you still can, but you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk a bit about how the industry has changed because you've seen a lot of shifts in this industry throughout your career, I'm sure. And I'd love to ask you this kind of philosophical question. Now, you once wrote that the music business today is more complicated than ever before and that there are more pain points, but there are also more opportunities. Can you unpack that for us and elaborate a bit? Sure. Uh, there, you, as especially as an independent artist, you have to really keep your eye on a lot of balls now. Uh, there are more sources of income, but there are more things that you have to be really careful of. A subject that is, may sound boring but is incredibly important to you is metadata. 
the which is the data that is associated with your songs and your sound recordings, making sure that you have the proper information associated with your songs, with your recordings that gets uploaded in order to be able to uh, track your plays and downloads and ultimately get you paid is super important. But that means you have to, to manage that kind of stuff. You have to be more and more aware of what all the programs and opportunities are at the various DSPs so that you can work with them. DSPs are digital service providers. So the Pandora's and the YouTube and the Google Music's and the Spotify's and the Apple's and iTunes and the Amazon's and SoundClouds of the world. And what are the opportunities uh, with, within each one of those platforms, the, op the opportunities and limitations. Um, so it, there are more opportunities because more of these things exist, but you have to be more aware of what those opportunities are in order to be able to effectively take advantage of them. And the linchpin in all of this, folks, is information. That it, that can be yes. the great equalizer and finding the right resources. And of course, Music Business Toolbox is going to be a fantastic resource for you. That's uh, www.musicbusinesstoolbox.com. You can benefit from Brian Calhoun's tremendous experience and expertise. Brian, it has been a pleasure having you on this week. Before we let you go, yep. do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes. Yeah, so aside from making sure that you don't spend all your money recording your record and leave nothing for everything else, the other key thing is making sure that you build your team, uh, your core team around you with people who are knowledgeable and can help you move your career forward. Um, it's really, really important to have the right people uh, working alongside you. And you may have heard this before, but it, it's, it's great. You know, uh, do it yourself does not mean do it alone. Make sure that you have the right people who are experts in their field to help you move the ball forward. Amen, sir. Thank you so much for your fantastic insight. Again, that's musicbusinesstoolbox.com. Brian, are you on social media at all? If people want to find you on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that? Um, Brian Calhoun at everything. So it's our at Brian Calhoun, everything B R Y A N C A L H O U N. Awesome. That's, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, everything. Beautiful. Brian, it has been a pleasure. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thanks so much. Greatly appreciate you. We'll be right back on the break. The business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Brian Calhoun for joining us in the previous segment. You can check out the Music Business Toolbox Musician Resource Platform by visiting www.musicbusinesstoolbox.com. I really enjoyed that. He's such a cool guy. What a great interview. Really informative. I love the guests that understand that the reason why they're on the show is to just dispense good information and they make sure to to drop some great knowledge bombs in the middle of the interview, and his stuff was all about that. It was just so much great info, and he was nice enough to donate a copy of the Music Business Toolbox ebook to our Seven Note Song Contest. So thank you, thank you, Brian Calhoun. 
Uh, remember, be sure to submit your song by December 8th to breakthebusiness at gmail.com so that you can be eligible for that contest. Let me run you through it again, all the great stuff you can win if you win our song contest. You get a copy of the Ari Hurston book, How to Make It in the New Music Business. You get the music and merchandise pack from our former guest, Mary Amber, from Ariel Hyatt, PR agent extraordinaire. You get her crowdfunding book, Crowdstart. You get the Rockstar Life Planner and six ebooks from Suzanne Paulinski, the Rockstar Advocate, a fantastic music business consultant. DJ Spruik's giving you the $25 reward from his new Kickstarter project, Pieces. Be sure to uh, back that right now. It's got two days left in his Kickstarter campaign, uh, kickstarter.com. Just search for Pieces by DJ Spruik. And you also get a copy of his last Kickstarter album project, Music Die Alone in Space 2. You get a copy of Verity White's new album, Breaking Out. You get a feature in IndieBandGuru.com. And from me, you're going to get a signed copy of the Break the Business book. And you're going to get an hour of one-on-one consulting services for me. That isn't something I normally do, but I'm going to do it for you because you won this contest. And I'm happy to, to meet with you and to help you move your career forward and... You're also getting a copy of the Music Business Toolbox ebook thanks to our new friend Brian Calhoun who joined us in the last segment and is totally awesome. Remember, if you want to be eligible to win this prize pack, you got to submit your song by December 8th to breakthebusiness at gmail.com. And to get the rules for the seven note challenge, you got to go to Serge, S-E-R-J, Tonkin, T-A-N-K-I-A-N, challenge.com. And you should submit your song to that challenge as well. That's uh, the deadline for that is December 15th at Serge, Tonkin, challenge.com, where you can win $5,000. That's the grand prize for his contest. So remember, folks, we want you to submit to both contests. We want you to win ours, but we really want you to win the Serge Tonkin Challenge so you can get $5,000 because, hey, you can do a lot with your music career with $5,000. You can get a new PR campaign. You get some new recording equipment. You can do get some nice targeted ads on Facebook and Twitter. There's so much you can do with five grand, and so I want you all to win that. Before we let you go for this week, got a fantastic listener email question. It's great. And it's going to be awesome, and I'm excited to share it with you. It reads as follows. Hi, Ryan. I want to trademark my band's name on a t-shirt. I already have my band's trademark for music recordings, but I want to put my band's name on a shirt. Do I need a trademark for that, too? What a cool question. I... I can, as an, as an entertainment lawyer, I am so giddy at the notion that we have a musician out there who's excited about trademarks, who wants to learn more about it and is actively taking an interest in protecting their brand. Ooh, I'm so excited. So of course I'm going to help you out listener. Let's talk about this because this is really important and trademarking t-shirts for your band name is something where a lot of musicians can get tripped up. And we'll talk about that right now to answer your question. Yes. It is absolutely possible for you to trademark your band's name for t-shirts. And if you already have a trademark for your band's name in music recordings, you should know that that trademark isn't just going to automatically extend to t-shirts just because you're getting into the t-shirt business. You want to get a new trademark registration for t-shirt apparel. Um, But there are a couple things you want to keep in mind with this. One... You still need to do a trademark search to make sure somebody isn't using a similar name in the t-shirt category. Just because you got the mark for CDs or music recordings, as you noted, doesn't mean you're just going to get that name for t-shirts as well. You're going to want to get a trademark search firm to do this work for you. Secondly, and this is kind of an interesting quirk with t-shirts that I want to make sure you, uh, email writer, are cognizant of. To get the trademark for your t-shirts, you have to provide what is called a specimen. And you have to do this for every trademark. A specimen is just a picture of the example of your 
trademark on whatever item you're trying to trademark it for. In your case, it'd be T-shirts. Where a lot of musicians make the mistake with T-shirts is they'll send the trademark office a picture of their band's name or logo on the front of the T-shirt in giant letters. They'll say, oh, I have to show a specimen of the trademark on the shirt. Here's the shirt. It's got the trademark uh, band name on it. Uh, done. I met the requirement. That's likely not going to be good enough to be a specimen because a trademark office is going to look at that picture and see the display of the band name on the front of the shirt in giant letters as what is known as ornamentation and not as a trademark. And so you don't want to do that. Instead, you should make your t-shirts in such a way where the trademark is on the tag of the shirt, on that little tag on the back, that thing that itches between the, the back shoulder blades. That's where you want your trademark. And now, look, your trademark can be on the front of the shirt, too. Like You should have your band name emblazoned on the front so that you know your fans can show off your awesome music wherever they go when they walk out on the street. But you also need that trademark on the tag of the shirt as well. So that you have the kind of specimen that the trademark office is going to need to grant your application. And as always, disclaimer, 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 when you're in the trademark world, get a lawyer to help you. Get a good, experienced trademark lawyer to help you. Not your, you know, not your cousin Joe who dabbles in real estate. No, you want an experienced IP attorney because trademarks can get really confusing really quickly but you can get lawyers out there to help you for a reasonable price and and look I, I know y'all hate to spend money and I know money's tight especially when you're a musician and there are things in music that you can skimp on you know uh, as Brian Calhoun told us in the last segment there are places where you can perhaps trim your budget a little bit but not protecting your brand Protecting your brand is not a place where you want to skimp. Your brand is everything. It is the source of all of your value as a musician. Your intellectual property is where all the money comes from. You got to protect it, protect it, protect it. And look, if money's really an issue for you, if you if you can't scrape together the cash to get a good lawyer to help you out, there are pro bono services available. You, you go with organizations like Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, and they can help you out. But don't go at this alone trademarks very very important you want to make sure you do it right great email i'm whoever you letter writer you i'm giving you a gold star because i'm so happy that you're out there trying to protect your brand i'm thankful to you and i'm thankful to all the listeners and i'm thankful to brian calhoun for joining us this week be sure to check out musicbusinesstoolbox.com thank you all so much for listening to the break the business podcast we will see you next week mm-hmm.